Hi guys, welcome to my Move and Inspire podcast. My name is Sophie Deer. I'm a yoga teacher, a health and happiness warrior, and like you, I am constantly doing my best to navigate this crazy world that we live in. My mission is to spread the zest that I have for life to each and every one of you and give you the chance to feel empowered, strong, connected, healthy, and above all, happy. I will be interviewing some kick-ass and inspirational people to motivate you to create transformations in order to live your best possible life. Hi, Charlie. Hi. I'm so excited to be interviewing today Charlie Barker. Barker. Yeah, Barker now. <laughs> I was going to say Charlie Launder because I met Charlie before she was married, but Charlie Barker, who is the founder of Bumps and Burpees, which is a fitness and wellness training. Yeah, training, mind physical you know everything to do with motherhood so like looking after mums and mums to be just with staying healthy of the mind and the body really so like everything <laughs> everything they need a one-stop shop I yeah I think it started off being just fitness and then I realized there's so much more to to motherhood than getting fit and strong it has to come from feeling good about yourself and yeah that's a whole long journey <laughs> so we try to do it all it's great and I also, I'm very, really lucky to be able to call Charlie a friend. We met um, when I was starting my yoga journey about four years ago. We met through a mutual friend. We actually went and had ice cream. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, my God, I totally remember that. Yeah, we had amazing ice cream in like a heat wave. It was boiling, wasn't it? In Brick Lane. Yeah. Yeah. With all the toppings. Great. Yeah, I knew that's why, we could, that's why we're good friends. Exactly. <laughs> we like good ice cream. <laughs> and we've stayed in touch ever since. And... Um, as soon as I wanted to come up with these kind of wellness interviews, I knew that I wanted to interview Charlie um, because I really feel like she is super inspirational and empowering and um, I'm just really excited to chat to you. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm very <laughs> honoured to be on. So, okay, firstly, I feel like I just want to touch on um, how you have had quite a tricky time um, in terms of you haven't been dealt like the best luck in life. Um, starting with your journey with cancer. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because each time something unlucky or bad has happened, I haven't been like, oh God, I keep having these unlucky things. But when, only recently have I been sort of talking about all of them together. It's like, oh my God, I'm a bit of a basket case. I've had like quite a ridiculous few years. But yes, so I was... I I was watching a Copperfield um, documentary, which is this breast cancer education charity. Um, and it was just when it was starting and the founder had done this documentary about how she found a lump and she went to the doctors and had to really push to be seen because they, they thought, oh, you're so young, it's nothing. And actually she got diagnosed too late and it was terminal. And she's still alive now and doing really, really well, but she lives with cancer. And if they'd found it earlier, maybe it would have been a different story. So as I was watching it, I felt my boobs and I found a little lump and so I booked doctor's appointment and the doctor said the exact same thing it's probably hormonal so what you need to do is just monitor it over the next couple of weeks and if it's still there then come back so I was like okay fine a few weeks later I went I went away actually for a month to Australia and when I was there I kept you know I was really aware of it and I came back and it was still there so I booked another appointment and 
I actually just said, can be referred. So I didn't really wait for them to offer it. I just, that's what I was going for. And I'd said, um, I know sometimes you don't because you're young, but I just really want to be referred. So I was referred and they, um, in the breast clinic in my local hospital, they also said the same. Oh, you're so young. Because I was 24. They're like, oh, it's probably nothing. It's probably your hormones. And it made me feel a little bit stupid for it. But I was like, no, remember that documentary? Like, you've got to push. So I said, is it okay if I if you just like scan it, because it was quite a big lump, you really could feel it, um, and he, this doctor's a bit like, oh, okay, fine, you know, I really felt stupid, but anyway, went and had a scan, and then they called someone else in to have a look at it, and then they ended up taking a biopsy of this lump, and then I went back into the, his clinic room, and he was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't, you know, I really didn't think it was anything, I just thought, how many people do you send away from things like this, so I, they rang back and said, yes, it was like um, very early stage cancer, a small lump, and they didn't think there was anything around it, but we needed to get it out immediately. So I had this surgery, lumpectomy, and it was very quick and, you know, it was very sore and I had to do some rehab to sort of stretch out my chest and my arm and stuff afterwards. But actually they got it all and I was sort of cleared and checked up six months later and everything was fine and then a year later I was just doing my normal checks which I seem to do a lot now I'm just I'm just used to it um and there was another lump sort of by the scar tissue and I thought oh maybe maybe it's scar tissue so I sort of left it for a couple of weeks and actually it really felt like another lump so I went back and this time they were quite good and they spread me through and it was more of the same and they what they hadn't told me is that if if they were to remove multiple lesions in one space, which is what they did at the first one, it's way more likely to come back. I needed to be on extra checks, which I wasn't, so I didn't know this. Anyway, exactly the same thing happened. I had another surgery, but this time they took quite a lot more tissue just to like be safe. Um, so it was a bit of a longer recovery, but everything was fine. They got it all, and since then I've had all these checkups and nothing, and I can't feel any lumps. So I'm sort of staying on top of it, and it's something that like. I'll never be too brave to go and get checked out now because you just think you, the best thing would be for them to say we've checked it and it's nothing. You might as well go and get checked. So that that happened when I was 24 and 26. So it sort of opened my eyes a bit to my body, if that makes sense. So it was like, oh, I'm not like a, I don't know, I stuff will happen. I'm not, a, a what's the word? I'm not uh, immune to bad stuff happening to me because you just before growing up you think it's like in the movies and it never happens to you and it all happens to old people so I just became a bit more aware of my body um and actually it's been a good thing so my whole life sort of just and telling other people telling other people to check check everything so yeah that was my sort of really brief encounter with cancer which was scary but at no point did anyone tell me that they were very worried and this was going to be it for me so it was I never thought that it was more that I was like, oh, this is an inconvenience for me. I need to I need to sort this and hope that it doesn't happen again, basically. But it's amazing because you are now able to spread awareness because that's happened to you and luckily you've got Exactly. And actually, funnily enough, over the last month, maybe three different people, four different people, friends or Instagram followers have messaged me saying, I've gone and got a lump checked because because I saw that you wrote about it. Um, and actually all four of them have turned out it was nothing, but they all went to get checked. And, you know, even if one person goes to get checked, I'm like, that's my job done. Um, but 
people do and you know like then they'll tell their friends and it keeps going and I think if we all just stop being so naive to thinking that stuff won't happen to us um it's just going to be a better situation for everyone yeah not thinking that we're completely invincible exactly and you know I like to feel like that but stuff just happens you know so yeah it was a bit of a wake-up call but it's been a wake-up call for everyone around me which has been brilliant so good okay and then kind of moving on from that um more recently you've had um some tricky times which you've been really open about I'd love you to share what's kind of been going on in your last year so we got married as you said in 2018 and I don't know I just thought like we'll get married then we'll have honeymoon and then we'll try for a baby and you know I actually thought it would take quite a while because you know it can do and I work with mums and I know that some people can take up to a year, sometimes more. And so I really didn't think anything would happen very quickly, but it did. The next month, um, George was on a ski trip and I just thought, I just found a pregnancy test in my cupboard. And I just thought, I'll just do it just to see. Um, and there was two lines and it was like, oh my God. I was almost a bit embarrassed that it happened so quickly because I thought, oh God, people are going to be so annoyed at how lucky we were. Anyway, um, George was over the moon and also felt the same, a little bit shocked. And then... Two weeks later, I just started bleeding as if my period was sort of about to arrive. And as much as I know that sometimes you can bleed in early pregnancy, I was like, "Mm, I'm not sure, I don't know about this one. Anyway, I rang my doctor and it was very clear very quickly that that was a miscarriage. Um, And the doctor said I didn't need to come in. It was sort of, unless it was unbearable pain, which it wasn't. It It was like the heaviest of heavy periods, but it wasn't excruciating it was more just hot, like sad um and that sort of a few days in bed was was kind of okay and all it did for us was make us realize that oh that we really want that so once I was sort of recovered from the physical side of things of that we were like right well we'll just try again the very next time um and it worked we got pregnant the very next time and so I was waiting for my period to come, sort of hoping that it wouldn't come, and I did a test, and, yep, pregnant again. And so I sort of went into George, like, we're doing it again, here we go. And we were both like, okay, well, let's let's kind of play it cool and just see what happens. Um, and for a few days, he'd come home from work, and he'd be like, still in there? <laughs> yep, okay, let's not talk about it anymore. We were both really nervous, but then weeks went by, and, like, stuff started going in the right direction, and I felt like things were good. Um and when was it we I booked a private scan for nine and a half weeks or something because I was just like 12 weeks is so long and went along to the scan I said oh like I think I'm nine between nine and ten weeks and she said oh brilliant we'll be able to see loads and she put the I don't know what you even call it the machine on my tummy and she said oh you definitely are pregnant but you are showing up a lot earlier than you thought you were maybe you got your dates wrong and immediately I was like I can't have got my dates wrong. I was pregnant just two weeks before. Um, so she said, no, no, this can happen. You know, you might have got your ovulation dates wrong. And I think if I'd been in my right mind, I would have said to her, no, I know exactly when I ovulated because I really, I knew my cycle and everything. But I sort of said, okay, fine. She said, come back in two weeks. So we came like two weeks. And that was when I just knew it wasn't right. I knew something was going on but everyone around me is like Charlie you've got to be more positive you've got to think positively and so I was so annoyed because I listened to them and I did I turned everything around in my head and I was like so excited to go back for the scan because I thought oh now we're gonna see it moving and she just she said 
I'm so sorry, but, and then I think I was just like, I know what you're going to say. And me being so typically like British, I did, I felt sorry for her. So I was like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I know what you're going to say. Like, I don't want you to have to say it. It's such a horrible part of your job. So, um, yeah, she just said, right, you need to wait for a doctor. We've got one here. You can see her in half an hour. Um, and she can tell you what the next steps would be. So we had to wait in the waiting room where all other pregnant women were waiting for their scans. And like, that was probably the hardest thing. And I just kept looking up at the sky ceiling, like blinking, 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 trying not to cry. Because I thought once I start crying, that's going to be, that's me done. I won't be able to stop. Um, and there were just people, I mean, exactly as we were half an hour before, rubbing their bellies, feeling excited, smiling, like looking at pictures of scans and things like this. And we were just waiting to find out how to get rid of our miscarried baby, which was just horrible. Anyway, the doctor was so lovely. And I, in there, I burst into tears. And she was just so, so sweet. And um, just said, well, there's two ways. You can either, or three ways. You can wait for the baby to miscarry naturally. But it doesn't seem like it's going to do that because it's been quite a few weeks. Because the baby was measuring six weeks. So actually, it was already like a month not alive in me. And my body wasn't recognizing it. So she said, that's probably not an option. The other option would be to have surgery. But there's usually, we need to go to Chelsea and Westminster, which is the closest hospital to us, see what their waiting times are, or you can medically induce the, ba the birth, basically. So how, I think it's a mini version of what they do to induce labour at full term. So I had to wait for another four days to get called up by the hospital, knowing that it wasn't alive in me. But I still had all the symptoms. I still was feeling sick. I still had headaches. I still felt tired. My breasts were sore, like really cruel. Like all the stuff that I was really happy about a week before suddenly just felt horrible. Um, and then I got called up by Chelsea and Westminster and the lady on the phone, I know that she didn't mean to, sound so harsh but she said how many pregnancies have you had and I said two and she said and how many alive children do you have and I was a bit like oh gosh you could have worded that a bit different but you know went with it went for my appointment and uh they gave me the medication I had to take to sort of get everything going and they said you can go home to do it because it might take some time so it kind of instructed me and then they said, in four hours after you take it, stuff will start happening and you will start, your cervix will soften and you'll start having contractions. And I bang on four hours. They were so correct with that. Bang on four hours, I was like, oh gosh, it felt like just tummy cramps. They got stronger and stronger. And um, I don't know how graphic you want me to be, but like tissue kept coming out basically. And I was like, oh, it must have come out. It must have come out. So I spent the whole rest of the day on the sofa and then at the evening I went to stand up to go to bed I guess or go to the bathroom and um I felt this like whoosh of gravity sort of in my stomach ran to the bathroom and before I could even get there I, I felt something come out and it was basically this tiny little fetus in a sack I mean it didn't look like a fully grown baby or anything like that but you could tell what it was um and it was so traumatic like it was nothing like I expected the lady told me that it would just be like a heavy period and I just believed her because she's a doctor and you just believe doctors and I was so angry that she hadn't prepared me for that I don't know if being prepared for it would have made it any easier but I was like sat awake all night just thinking I can't unsee what I've just seen and it was weeks and weeks and weeks of me waking up in complete hot sweats probably the hormones still in me and just reliving that moment was just awful um, and that one took us a long time to recover from, both of us. George was very good at being there for me, 
And then when I sort of seemed like I had myself together a bit more, he went through his sort of grieving journey. We were at a wedding and someone came and found me and basically George had just burst into tears, completely lost it. And weirdly, I was very happy about that because I knew that he hadn't, re you know, he hadn't really dealt with it. And he kept saying to me, I just care about you. And I knew that he had more in him to get out. So after that, it took a few days for him to sort of recover from that. But he felt so much better, and both of us did. And But we, we told ourselves, we can't do that again anytime soon. We've got to have a break. But because it was, like, two miscarriages, they everybody just said, no tests. It's so common. Just give it a little break when you're ready to. You can try again. So we, that's why I was really honest about it. So that's when I, I did an, another interview, and I kind of, spoke about it on my Instagram and I got this overwhelming response which was actually therapeutic for me. I did it in the first place to be helpful to others because the way that I didn't feel prepared for it, I didn't want anyone else to go through that. So I thought, why don't I speak about it in the way that I wish someone else had spoken about it to me? Um, and I got about 300 to 400 women and actually a few men messaged me either saying, they've been through the same thing or just sorry to hear everything and it was just it felt to me like I joined this gang and it was really a gang that you don't want to be in but once you're in you feel very looked after and very loved um and I still feel part of it loads of people loads of women message me now how they're doing and all these kind of things and it's amazing but um I was very happy that I was open about it it was something I was quite nervous to do but I was doing it selflessly and then actually it became a real help to me so I didn't feel so alone in it and I obviously I know it happens to so many people but you don't feel like that when it's happening you just feel, you look around all you see is people getting pregnant and having babies and you just think if it's so common then why is no one around me having this issue but they people are they just don't speak about it um and then I really thought that was it that was our bad luck so that's why I was really open about it because I thought oh the next time we get pregnant, it'll be great. And then we had two more early miscarriages after that. So we actually got pregnant first time trying both those other times. So as soon as we decided we were ready, we're pregnant again straight away. So on that side of things, we're very lucky. And clearly the two of us work well together, but we couldn't figure out the next stage of things. So we had all the tests on the NHS and basically everything came back average or perfect. So they were like, I can't find anything wrong, just keep trying. And I was just like... I know something is going wrong. It keeps, basically the baby keeps passing at six weeks, whether it stays in my body or it comes out. So something is going on at six weeks. And I, and I being sort of in the sciencey side of things, I just wanted to understand it better. And I know there are people who don't want to know the reasons. I wanted to know everything. So um, another one of our mutual friends, Emma Cannon, who um, is amazing, she was helping me with acupuncture and things. And she recommended me to go and see this doctor who specializes in immunity with reproductive system, basically. And um, with everything that's gone on in my life before, they thought that maybe my immune system was like on the overactive side and trying to protect me from stuff, which would make sense. Um, so we finally booked an appointment with him. He's, you know, we had to go private. We really had to discuss it between us, how, you know, it's quite expensive, but to me, it was like, it's worth it. Let's not, not go on holiday for a while. We, we need to do this. So we dug into our savings, booked this appointment, and it was like six weeks away, I think. And George said, we can, can, we can keep trying until then. And I was like, no, we're not supposed to get pregnant before the appointment. Um, 
because that sort of interrupts their testing and everything. He was like, what are the chances of getting pregnant again the third time in a row? So I was like, okay, fine. Anyway, we sort of, you know, we didn't, we didn't protect ourselves, shall we say. Um, and lo and behold, we got pregnant again. And I was sort of like, I can't believe we've done this. This is ridiculous. What are we going to say to him? I was like a bit embarrassed. And then um, I left it for a week because I thought, well, if, if it goes how every other one has gone, it's not going to last. And I, I was sort of preparing myself not to be upset because we had this backup plan. Anyway, it didn't end and it didn't end. And I was like, oh, my God. So I had to email them and say, look, this is what's happened. They said, look, still come in. And we sat in his office and he sort of acted like a headmaster and was like, well, you've really gone behind my back around this plan, you know, whatever. We were like, we're really sorry, like little naughty school kids. And he said, let's just do the test anyway. I'll put you on the steroid treatment that I would usually put someone on with an overactive immune system just in case. And in two weeks, we'll know the results and then we can deal with it then. So I was like, okay, fine. So started on steroid treatment. Two weeks later, went back and he said, yep, the results come in and you do have, you, you have a normal amount of natural killer cells that any of us have to fight disease and illness. But under a pregnancy scenario, they are overactive. So they ramp it up. Whereas usually when you get pregnant, your immune system suppresses, mine would just go up. So he, he knows there was a problem and that was it. But he said, let's just do a scan and see if there's anything still even in there. And it was very negative. I was like, okay, fine. Anyway, he, he scanned me and there was this tiny little blob with a flicker, which was a tiny heartbeat. We'd never seen that before. So we're like, oh my God, oh my God. And he, and he was still very realistic. You know, the next couple of weeks are vital. And if we haven't, we haven't started the steroids in time, this is just not going to work. So we sort of left with this weird glimmer of hope, but we weren't really allowed to get hopeful because he told us not to. So we, it was like this elephant in the room all the time. We didn't really tell anyone. We didn't get excited about it. And then we went in every two weeks, we had a scan and things seemed to be going kind of in the right direction. Uh, well, I got ill straight away, which shows my immune system was being suppressed. I got this horrendous cold, but actually I was like, yay, this is great. Um, and things have been going in the right direction. So it turns out for me, there was something wrong and I knew it. I knew all along and I, and I still stand by the fact I was like, I had this intuition that it wasn't bad luck and I just... I knew there was something we needed to fix, but I feel very lucky that it was something quite easy to fix for me. Um, but having said that, I'm now 17 weeks pregnant. And, and when I came today, you said, oh, it's gone so quick. I was like, no, it hasn't. It's been full of anxiety and just, oh God, we've got so far now. What if it ends now? What if this, what if that? So it's not been such a physical journey so far. It's been a very, very exhausting mental journey. But God, have we learned a lot about ourselves <laughs> and our bodies and, and as a couple sort of changed how we are with each other and gone through it together. But yeah, it's been one of those things where I started doubting my own body because after everything else that's happened in my life, I was like, well, obviously we were never going to have an easy ride. And it's like, no, you've got to stop thinking like that. But scary place to be when you don't trust your body anymore but it's turning it around <laughs> we're getting on the good side of each other now awesome. um, amazing kind of journey that you've been through and like really heartbreaking like I was welling up a little bit <laughs> with some of the stuff you were saying but I'm so pleased that now there's you know yeah positive. and I was saying to you earlier that when someone said to me who was going through fertility treatment when when you finally do have a successful 
go at things, you forget everything you've been through. And I was like, what are they talking about? And, you know, you definitely don't forget. But last year was the worst year ever. But now we're in this sort of good space. I look back at it thinking, it was okay, you know, it was fine. And it wasn't. It was horrible. It was the worst time ever. But your your mind and your body are so good at helping you deal with stuff and recover in the way you need to. And, and I... I, I hear from a lot of women who feel the same and the anxiety and things like that, but I've definitely moved my mind into a positive space now and I don't mind talking about the miscarriages and everything, but I don't hang on to them. I don't um, necessarily feel sad when I talk about them as much as I did because I feel like they weren't meant to be. My body wasn't ready. Um, this is the one that was supposed to be. So I, I've tried, I've worked on it. It's taken some time, but I don't feel so negative about my body anymore. I was going to ask, like, because you are so brave um, and positive, what is it that, you know, keeps you... Well, I'd say everybody says, you know, how do you say so positive? And let me tell you, there's days when I'm not positive, for sure. And those are the days where you don't necessarily tell people about them because you, you just need to deal with yourself. But I'm very aware that um, it comes across that I'm, like shining light of positivity every day and I am generally quite good at trying to find the positive in things um but you know at the time there were people who were trying to be the positive for me and that was very hard because they were saying things like well at least you can get pregnant and you know like I've just said that's such a lucky thing for us at least we can get pregnant but at the time that is not helpful to hear you you know we wanted that one and we were grieving that one and for someone to it's like you losing a leg and someone saying well at least you've got the other one it sort of like takes it away from you a bit um but the way that I found the positive for me is to sort of talk myself through it and I guess talk about it out loud um I find really helpful because I've always written a diary as well so sort of processing my thoughts chronologically I sort of deal with it as as a therapist would deal with you if you see what I mean um I don't tend to lock up my feelings anymore when I was younger I probably did I tend to talk about things more and then you feel less alone. Other people can give you their insights on things. And I guess the thing that stuck with me through all the miscarriages, but sometimes it felt like a, a real hard thing to understand, is that you have to just get on with it. There's, no, there's, Yes, you have to grieve it. Yes, you absolutely have to go through all the emotions. But at the end of the day, you have to carry on living your life and, and move forward. Um and each time we would miscarry, I'd think, oh, God, I'm just going to have to get on with it, aren't I? Like, it's, it's a very exhausting thing to do when you're in it. But if you always see the other side, it's like, we're going to get through this. I mean, it's going to be okay. We're going to carry on living our life. It does make it easier because you see an out. Like, you see that it's really awful now, but there's a light at the end of this tunnel. And I don't know where it is, but we're, co we're coming to it, which I think is something worth remembering. Yeah, I, we were talking earlier just before we did this about how important it is that when you are going through a sadness or a hurt or whatever pain you're going through mm. to accept that on the level of what you feel yeah then. I know I mean how often are we told as kids to sort of like wipe those tears carry on it's like we need to we need to address it we need to feel the sadness feel the anger whatever it is and then deal with it rather than put it in a box because that box will come out at another time. And I think by George having his sort of emotional 
period much later on than me that proves it because he just put it in a box because he wanted to be there for me which is amazing I think it's it sounds to me like it's very common for one of the partners to to be there for the other until they realize it's safe to let their emotions out but I think you you bottle them up or you put them away and then you deal with them another time so for me I needed to deal with it at the time but I'm such a people pleaser that I find it very difficult. People would come over to cheer me up and I would pretend to be cheered up because you didn't want them to feel like they'd failed at their job. And when people say, how are you? And I'd always say, oh, I'm doing much better, thank you. And like in my head, I'm like, I'm doing awful. This is awful. Um, but you know, your close friends can see through that. And I think I just said to them, I don't want to always see you. and I don't want to always reply to your messages. And they got that. They would always call and sometimes I'd pick up and sometimes they wouldn't. Um, and I learned how to be a bit stronger with myself and say no to things because I think so many of us are, but I definitely am a people pleaser and will, I'm grieving yet I will make sure I'm managing their emotions <laughs> and that's quite exhausting. That really makes me think of two things that I think would be like helpful um, for listeners. Like firstly, if you're a friend of someone who's mm -hmm. going through something like this, um, or to be honest, any kind of trauma or pain. Um, personally, what I've learned from having friends um, support me is that sympathy and not trying to do the yeah everything's okay. Mm. You know, every you know we're gonna get life and it's just gonna be fine. Actually, just saying. Do you know what? I'm so sorry that you've gone through this. This is so unfair. This is awful and, like, you know, I'm so sad for you or so sad with you. It's it's really nice to acknowledge that. And a few people, when I told them, would be like, oh, well, at least, at least this. And I, my biggest advice is to don't say at least anything because there's a time and a place for that, but they're not right, when they're right in the thick of it, that's not the time for it. At that time, you want to send chocolates to the house. You want to come over and be there to cry together um, or leave them alone and just let them know I'm here and just keep checking in. Um, yeah, I think that's the best way to do it and not try to fix it, which is so hard because we want to do that. You, want, you can't bear to see your friend or your loved one in pain, but you have to just accept they are in pain and you could just be there to make them feel less alone in that pain, but you can't fix it, which is really hard. Um, but even though I knew when people were saying to me, at least this, at least that, I, do, I wasn't angry with them because I know they were, they were not being um, hurtful on purpose. I just was making a mental note of how many times do you think I've done that? I think I used to do that a lot. And more recently, I've learned not to. Yeah, and I think it comes both sides. Like, try not to try and fix your <laughs> friend, but also try not to fix if you're the one who's going through it. Yeah. Don't feel like you have to fix it. That actually it's okay just to sit with yeah. the misery. It's hard. It's harder. The reason we want to fix it is because we want to get out of it. But you know what? I, I've gone through this my whole life where I've thought tomorrow is going to be a better day. And so sometimes I've gone to bed so early because I just want to get rid of the day. And I just want to go to bed and wake up better tomorrow. And you always wake up feeling a bit better. Um, even if it's for 10 minutes and then you realise what's happened again and you, you know, you go through it all again. But one day you are going to wake up and you look back and realise how far you've come through it. But you do have to ride the wave, basically. And it might be a quick one or it might be a long one and you just have to, like, hold on tight, I think. 
but it's very, it's, it's very easy for me to talk about it now that I'm out of it, if you see what I mean. Like, when I was, when I was open about it, it wasn't straight away, no way. It was, like, a couple of months afterwards, um, and people would say, oh, you're so brave. You know, I didn't cry when I talked about it because it was, it was, like, in this box where I was, like, I've moved on from it now, and that was what happened to me, and I'm in a different place now. But I absolutely bawled my eyes out. I cried a lot. I was angry. I felt very hard done by, very robbed. I definitely felt why me, which is something I was trying not to feel, but I felt that. Um, so I really always want people to remember that, like, that's so normal. I definitely went through that. I'm, I didn't just skip out of the doctor's office and think, oh, well, tomorrow's a new day. It was awful. But time is a healer. And I realised how amazing my sort of support network around me is. But you have to let them support you. Yeah. I think a lot of people push their closest away, don't they? I've done that before. I want to protect them, but also the more people keep asking you how you are, the more you have to talk about it. And if you don't want to talk about it, that's quite hard. But even just going for a walk and talking about everything else is useful sometimes. So you don't have to have everyone come over with chocolates and ask for the story again. You could say, I really want to go to the cinema with someone or I really want to go on a walk, or things like this. Borrow a dog. You have a dog, which is amazing. I was always borrowing my friend's dog, walking in the park and just getting some fresh air, and, you know, everyone's so understanding. But you have to explain and let them. Dogs are the best therapy. I know. Oh, my God. And I said to George, if this pregnancy doesn't work, we have to get a dog. And now I'm like, should we get a dog anyway? He's like, no, we can't have both yet. And I was like, oh, I really need a dog. But you're so right. My sister is a therapist, and she says that um, she always recommends, like, the elderly or people who are feeling depressed to get a dog. Because, first of all, it's like this unconditional love that you have. Second of all, it gets you out of the house every day because you have to look after this thing. So you have to put your clothes on or your shoes on at least and go out and walk this dog. You have to feed them. So it gives you a bit of purpose. And they're just they're so lovely. So I will get a dog. <laughs> I will, George, if you're listening to this. <laughs> one step at a time. Yeah, one step at a time. Baby first, then dog. But Sorry, George. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think everybody's so different, but... There's no one who deals with this with a smile on their face every single day. No, or deals with anything. If you see that on Instagram, it's not the full story. Definitely not. Just a highlights reel. Yeah, exactly. And even if they are honest about the bad days, that's just a few of them. You know, if everybody said every single time they had a bit of a down moment, it would be a very boring place to be. We don't want to read about that, so that's why people don't post it. But in the everyday world, we all flip from one emotion to the other hourly <laughs> so yeah I think I'm very conscious of like portraying myself as this like beam of sunshine which I, I try and be positive as much as I can but it's impossible all the time it's just it's nice to hear you be so like honest and open and real and I think that's why people um like listening to your story because it just shows the vulnerability and that you know it's okay and these things happen like you said we're not we're not um, invincible. Stuff happens to us all the time um, that we don't necessarily want. But that's just part of my life. And I felt like by not sharing it, I was I was almost lying, even though nobody would have minded if I didn't share it. I just, I wanted to say this is what's been going on. And also for me, I do gymnastics. I like to train really hard. And I wasn't doing that. And people were noticing. And I think they probably thought, I'll be, she's pregnant. 
and I wanted to let them know, actually, no, I've been going through a really bad time. That's why I'm not doing the things that I usually do. Um, and, yeah, people are really understanding and lovely. So I think a lot of people have said that they've started opening up a bit more about it. And you know what? It's completely fine when people don't want to open up. You know, I'm not saying everyone has to talk about everything in their life. But even if you open up to one person, it doesn't have to be on a public platform. It just makes you feel less alone and they can check in on you. You can let them know if you've had a bad day. Um, I have a few friends who I'm their sort of go-to for, for you know, STEM not feeling that positive. And I have some friends that are my go-tos for that. And I think just have your handful and that's enough. And then you can have the, your widest support network just for, you know, keeping you busy and entertained on those days when you need it. But um, you've got your good support network around you, but you have to realise who they are and let them in, I think, is the trick, which is not that easy to do. Okay, so I want to end these chats by basically asking my guests um, three bits of advice they can give to listeners. So for you, do you have three tips or three bits of advice that you can give for anyone who's starting their fertility journey or yeah. embarking on it? Well, I think that the first thing I would say is to, to try not to compare. I mean, this is actually advice I'd give to anyone at any stage in their whole life, but even your twin sister won't have the same fertility journey as you. So it's very easy to sort of go, well, my friend did this and they took this amount of time. But like, you know, you've got you and your partner. You've also got your lifestyle. You've got your genetics. You've got everything in play. So don't compare your journey to someone else's. Just focus on yours. And it's very hard to feel jealous of people around you who envious people around you who may be getting there quicker than you or having an easier time than you but yeah just try to remember that you will have your time and you know just put all your energy into you and you and your partner I think that's that's my first tip the second tip would be about exactly that you and your partner so I think that often well I think it's very regular that the woman will go to the doctor or to the acupuncturist or reflexologist all these things way before the man will because the woman automatically takes on a responsibility and assumes it's them and all these things and I so I think it's very important to remember that it's both of you so before you even go and seek out medical help or anything like that try to make sure both of your lifestyles are sort of in gear for this goal so you know you're both taking the vitamins you need to take you're both um looking after your body, exercising, sleeping, eating, drinking well, those kind of things. So make sure you both are sort of working towards the right goal and talk to each other about it. So if you're feeling anxious about things, make sure they know about it because actually they might be feeling it too. And I think the worst thing that it can do is to drive a wedge between the two of you. And it, and it can do that. And I can completely see how it can do that. Um, but just make sure that you talk about it because it's something that probably both of you have never done before. It's a huge life decision, um, and so you've just got to sort of go through that roller coaster together. So that's my second one. And then the third one is that um, it takes time. You know how I started this journey thinking it will take a year or so? That's because it can, and it's so normal for it to take up to six months to a year. Um, and for us not to be in a rush. So, you know, I'm 31 and I know that last year I was like, oh my God, we're losing time. I'm losing the race against nothing, you know. And, and looking around me, everyone else seemed to be younger and doing it before me and having more kids than me. But actually, when I went to the hospital this time, the midwife said to me that the average age of first-time mum in the Chelsea Westminster Hospital 
was 37 and that blew my mind. I just, I was expecting her to say like 33, I think. But for her to say 37 and she looked at me like, you're a spring chicken, you know, you're so young. And I just thought, actually, you know what? We are, just because our mums had us in the mid twenties, we feel like we're sort of losing, we're behind, you know. But you've got time, no matter what age you are, science is brilliant, we're in 2020, you will have your baby, but a few months here, a year there, it's not gonna it's not gonna change things. But you just need to be in the right headspace, you need to, you know, look after yourself and not feel like you're racing because that immediately stresses you out. And stress is such a big contributor to infertility and, and issues. And I know it's a horrible thing to be told because it's hard to fix. Um, because it's not very measurable. But um, I think, yeah, take yourself out of the race. You're not racing against anybody. It's just you and you want to do it the best for you. Um, so yeah, don't panic about time, I think is my last piece of advice. And I know because I've done it. I've panicked. I've done all the things I'm telling you not to do. So I'm telling you from experience, it's not worth it. It's so stressful. So yeah, try to stay in your own lane and just focus on yourself. I was going to say, try and be on your own own little journey with it all yeah exactly and like you know like I said I'm not all high and mighty because I've never done any of it I'm telling you because I've done all of it I've taken millions of pregnancy tests I've done everything I tell you not to do but you can use me as your experience it's not worth it <laughs> it's not worth it oh thank you Charlie that's okay loved Thanks all of that me. and so it's such um so wonderful to have you here and to be able to talk to you so openly and honestly and to hear everything I'm sure you're going to continue to yeah inspire people oh well, I hope so well I just I'm just saying it how it is and if that inspires people to make a change or you know do something for them then that's amazing well really nice to see you thank you Sophie thanks so much to Charlie for joining me for my first ever podcast what an incredibly resilient woman she inspires me through her honesty, her vulnerability and her ability to hold her hands up and say, yes, this was pretty rubbish, but how can I react and adapt? Thanks so much to you guys for listening to my Move and Inspire podcast. Stay tuned for more interviews with some incredible people in wellness. Let's aim together to find our inner strength and to keep searching for what it is that sets our souls on fire.